for hanging with us for those few minutes. It's important to do that family stuff. But I got a word from the Lord, I believe, for, for all of us this morning. Uh, his word is really good, amen? All right, it's confession time. Don't you love when we start with confessions? I'll start. I'll start. So if you've been around here long enough, you already know I love food, right? Try to work that into every message. I think the more I work it into the message, the more people start just like bringing food to me. I promise I won't manipulate you in that way. Thank you all for your kind gifts. They're wonderful. But if you've been around long enough, you know I also love shoes. Like, like I have a problem. Uh, but I think, the Lord, I think the Lord has been gracious to me in, in terms of shoes. Even over the last week or so, uh, I have been blessed with somebody giving me some of the most expensive shoes I've ever owned in my entire life. And that's, that's kind of exciting, Right? Just kind of really exciting uh, to be able, for God to, you know, give you the desires of your heart, even something as silly as shoes. I love shoes. But, but if you know me, you, you know this as well. I kind of really like clothes, too. Like, this might be a problem. Like, I always wanted to have, you know, kind of the latest and greatest. How many of you in here, are, you like clothes? How many of you are, like, I could care less. You've got your uniform down. You just, like, as long as you're covered, you're good. Right? So we kind of have a, a split. I think there were more people that liked clothes in the early service. But I like, I like really like clothes. And it has led to some questionable choices of clothing in my life. How many of you had questionable choices? I don't have any pictures. My mom does, though. I'm sure you could contact her and she'd be more than happy to show you some of my questionable choices. She reminds me of them often. But if we're honest, almost every one of us have had questionable choices in clothing, whether we chose them for us or our parents chose them for us, and we can try to shift the blame on what we chose, but we've all had those experiences. And it, I think over time, the shift for me has gone from really wanting kind of the latest fashion to wanting to have clothes that are very functional, right? I remember one time as a youth pastor, I was meeting with a few of my interns, and they were making fun of me because it was, I think, like January. And I just happened to show up to breakfast at a local place in a pair of boots. And they're like, why are you wearing boots? I'm like, because there's snow and slush on the ground. I'm like, why are you wearing sneakers? Like, because we're not dorks like you are. They didn't use the word dorks. I think that dates me as well. But they were making fun of me because I I, I chose function over fashion. But I think all of us kind of shift to that in our lives, right? Where we want to have the right outfit. How many of you know there's a right outfit for everything? If you're going to work out, there's the right clothes to work out in. If you're going to take a hike, there's the right clothes to take a hike in. If you're going to go to a wedding, right, you should have wedding clothes. All the ladies in the house say amen. If you're going to travel, you should, you know, buy those travel pants that they advertise on Facebook that breathe and don't rip and are waterproof and all that kind of stuff. If you're going to watch movies, you should get out your couch clothes. How many of you have couch clothes? You know, you know what I'm talking about. If you're going to play sports, you want to have the right outfit for sports. You don't show up to play soccer in a football outfit. You know what I'm talking about, right? Some of you, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you think I'm absolutely nuts because you could care less. But the truth is this, that uh, there is right clothing for every environment and every activity. How many of you know it gets cold in Buffalo? How many of you know it gets snowy and wet and gross and sometimes it's just not fun to be outside? Well, the Scandinavians have a... Uh, saying about that. They said there's no such thing as bad weather, there's only bad clothing. And what they mean by that is this, Scandinavians 
generally have worse weather than we do in terms of snow and cold and all this kind of stuff. But they've learned how to adapt to it with the right clothing. They, they spend, on average, a lot more time outdoors than we do. They don't say, oh, well, you know what? September's over. I'm just going like, to hide in my house until May. They go out in the middle of the snow, in the middle of the rain, in the middle of the wet weather, and they enjoy the outdoors. In fact, they actually sleep their children outside in the snow. They, nap, they wrap their babies up and they nap them in the snow. And it's not considered child abuse. It's actually considered healthy for them. It helps their immune system and all that kind of stuff. But they're able to do that because they put them in the right proper clothing. They're not being exposed to the elements because they have the right clo- clothing on. And I think that, that idea is really a, a, a fun idea to kind of explore. Like if you have the right gear, if you have the right clothing, you can exist and not only exist, but you can thrive in almost every activity or any environment that you find yourself in. You know, they, the Scandinavians invest in good clothing. They're not like our parents who are like, hey, put bread bags on your feet, <laughs> put three pairs of sweatpants out on, and now you're good to go. Go sledding for, you know, for the entire day. Because how many of you know 20 minutes into that, like you're sweating through the sweatpants on the inside, the outside sweatpants are, are, got wet, and then the snow crusted to them. So you're walking around with like icicles on your knees, right? Your, your feet are so sweaty in those bags that you might as well not have worn the bag because they're already soaking wet. Your socks are soaking wet. You're freezing cold and it's not working, right? Proper clothing, being dressed properly for the activity that you're going through is important. But here's the thing. The Bible also has a lot to say, not just the Scandinavians, but the Bible has a lot to say about proper clothing. Oh, can I tell you a joke? This is from, this is from Lexi, who we talked about. She's Why did the Norwegians put barcodes on their Navy ships so when they came into harbor they could scan the Navy in? I don't know. I kept saying Scandinavian, I just had to tell you that. I did, the early service didn't get that joke, but we got more time, so. I mean, they, I didn't tell the joke. I didn't tell the joke, so we, yeah, anyways. Scripture has a lot to say. The Bible has a lot to say about clothes. Right from the get-go, Adam and Eve sin, right? And they find themselves being aware that they're naked. And so what do they do? They sew leaves together to make clothing for themselves. And God comes to them and calls to them and they're hiding from him because they're ashamed and they're naked. And he comes and says, well, who, who told you you were naked? And he says, actually, you know what? Those clothes that you made for yourselves are not adequate for what you're gonna need. He makes them better clothes out of animal skins. When we read in scripture, we read about Moses being given the law, God, God comes and he's forming a people out of the people of the earth. And in doing that, he, he talks to them about clothing. He says, he says listen, priests, when you approach me, here, here, are the clo- here are the clothes that you should wear. Here are the garments, the undergarments, the whole deal. Here's how it should look. This is what you should wear when you approach me. In fact, he has, he has fiber content regulations for all of the people. Like when you make clothes, don't mix fiber contents. God, God talks all throughout scripture about clothing. When, you, when we read about Solomon, Solomon who ruled over the, the United Kingdom of his father David and Israel was at its greatest ex, ex, expanse and Solomon was wise and wealthy beyond belief and when the Queen of Sheba came to see what was happening, there's a list of things that she saw that brought glory to God and one of them was the way the servants were dressed. She was actually giving glory to God and expressing how amazing it was to see servants dressed so well. But then we read about in New Testament scripture, when, when we're talking about clothing, often the theme is modesty. 
that, we should, that women shouldn't adore themselves in fancy clothing, that we shouldn't make it all about the fancy things that we wear, but should rather be about our hearts. Scripture talks about clothing all the way through. In fact, Jesus talked about clothing a bunch. He tells the parable of the, the wedding feast, where a king is looking to have a wedding feast and wants to get, every, get his son married, and he tells his servants, go out and just gather everybody. Get, here, send out the invitations to people. And the people that get the invitations are like, hey, I'm busy, I, I got a lot to do, sorry, I can't show up. And so the king's like, no, we're gonna fill this place. So go out into the highways and to the byways. Compel everybody to come in. Tell everybody, rich, old, poor, it doesn't matter, just get, get that place filled up. That would be like an anti-coronavirus restrictions message to preach, right? And he comes into the wedding, the, Jesus said the master comes into the wedding feast, the king comes in and he sees a man who's not dressed for a wedding. Everybody else who was invited in got dressed in the right clothing, but this man wasn't. And he, he says, throw, throw him out, because this man didn't have a heart that was in it. He, didn't, he wasn't prepared for the wedding feast. Jesus says the clothing that we wear is important, and I don't think he was telling a story to say, hey, make sure you take your wife to Macy's before you go to a wedding, so that she has the right stuff. He was talking about the spiritual condition of his people. Clothes, clothes in Scripture are almost always a metaphor for being prepared, being ready. We're, we're going through a series called Ready, where two weeks ago we talked about the fact that Jesus is coming again, right? And he's coming for a bride that's ready and prepared. He tells, Jesus says, you should be ready for this. And then he defines, and we looked, about, looked at this last Two weeks ago, it's important to go over it again. He defined what being ready is. It's being engaged in leading and feeding his people. It's being filled with the spirit of God. It's, it's about advancing his kingdom. If we're gonna live ready, those are three things that are key. And last week, we talked about our hearts being ready. How many of you are blessed by Jared Berry's message where he talked about Queen Esther and he talked about Haman and he contrasted hearts that were ready to be living for God or hearts that were only interested in their own systems. That's part of how we be ready or how we make ourselves ready. This week we're gonna talk about being dressed and ready. Clothing as it relates to our lives, specifically our spiritual lives. In Revelation, we read what Jesus has to say about clothing. Now just a word about Revelation. As we read it, oftentimes, especially in the last days, people have been looking at the book of Revelation and trying to see you know, parallels between what we're experiencing right now and what we're experiencing in the earth and what's written in Revelation. And all throughout history, people have done that. They read the book of Revelation and they try to compare it to their times and want to figure out what this means and what that means and what, what this is all about. And I think it's important that we read the book of Revelation. I think it's important that we apply it to the times that we're living in. But I think it's important to not get stuck in that. Because oftentimes we can get stuck in what Revelation is because Revelation is not primarily a revelation of the things to come. It's primarily a revelation of Jesus Christ and his glory. It's, it's the Spirit of God and, and Jesus unwrapping the layers of things that we think about God so that we can see him in a new light. So we can see Jesus as the risen king, as the king who's coming again for his pure and spotless bride, the, the king who's going to establish justice and righteousness on the earth. In fact, at, at one point in Revelation, as, as the Apostle John is seeing these great visions of what hap, what's happening in heaven, he bows down in worship to the angel that's with him. And the angel's like, whoa, whoa, get up. Stop, stop, you're doing this wrong. 
He says, because the essence or the reason for this prophecy is the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, when we look at revelation, oftentimes we're tempted to assign meaning to this and meaning to that. And sometimes our our response to the meaning of what we're seeing, even though it's a revelation from God, our response is inappropriate. The greatest and most appropriate response to what Jesus is saying in revelation to the church, what he's revealing to us, is that our hearts are turned towards him. In fact, Jesus, in the very beginning of the book of Revelation, has messages for his churches. And there's, there's in, the, in the book, chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Revelation, we see Jesus giving messages to the seven churches of Asia. And in those messages, he's talking to his people. And he's revealing himself to his people. It's worth a read. In fact, this is horrible. More confession time. My very first message that I ever preached as a youth pastor was called Repent or Else. It was all seven churches. I preached all seven churches to three youth group members for about an hour and a half. Aren't you glad I got some reps in before I became the lead pastor and talked every morning, every Sunday morning? I'm grateful because it, it was a lot for me to hear. And I was the one talking. But you should read these. But in it, we're going to look at specifically what he says to the last church, the church at Laodicea. We're going to look at Revelation uh, chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 17. Jesus said this You say I'm rich and I have everything I want. Remember, he's talking to his church. I don't need a thing. It's possible. For us to think that we're ready for his return. That we're rich, we're clothed, we're doing all right. Jesus said this in Revelation chapter 16, verse 15. Look, I'll come as as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all who are watching for me, who keep their clothing ready, so they'll not have to walk around naked and ashamed. Jesus is not talking about literal nakedness here. How many of you have your revelation clothes in your closet ready to put on for when Jesus comes back? Like you got your robes. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about people in our spiritual condition in our lives. And he's saying we're blessed if we're watching for him and that our clothes are ready to go, that our hearts are prepared for his coming. But he says this in the beginning of Revelation. He says, you, you think you have everything that you need. But then he says, don't you realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? Think about this for a minute. He's talking to his church. It is possible for the church of Jesus Christ and even us as individuals to think that we are doing good with God and be in a place where we are absolutely deceived. He says, don't you realize? There's a realization that we need to come to as the people of God that there are times in our lives that we are not as good as we think we are. That we're not as ready or prepared for the Lord and what he wants to do in our lives. He said this, it's not just a deceived place, it's a sad place. He says you're wretched and you're miserable. How many of, how many of you, when somebody asks you, hey, how you doing, you just, you just automatically say, I'm doing fine, I'm doing good. Some of us are like that. Now others of us are like the Eeyores of life, like, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm wretched and miserable. 
Not much of a Jesus follower, I guess. Just counting on the Lord to forgive me because I stink. Now, none of us, well, most of us don't actually use those words, right? But sometimes we have that same attitude. The truth is this. If we, we can live in deception, but we can also realize that we really are miserable. We really are wretched. It's not only a deceived place and a sad place, it's a powerless place. He says you are wretched and miserable and poor. Oftentimes, money is associated with the ability to change our circumstances, right? When you're hungry, if you got $5 in your pocket and it's free spending money, you can go make yourself unhungry, right? Not at McDonald's anymore because it's like $12 for a meal. I don't know what that's all about. But if you know how to order right on the dollar menu, you can do pretty good. $5 will get you two real double cheeseburgers and a Diet Coke. Because the diet offsets the double cheeseburgers. But, but Jesus is saying, listen, it's possible for us, as the people of God, to think we're doing okay, but not be okay, and we really don't even have what we need to make it right. If you don't have any money you can't, in your pocket, you can't change your circumstances when you're hungry. If you don't have any money in your pocket, you need to get from somewhere to the next place, maybe to do some work. You can't do anything about it because you don't have the resources Jesus says it's entirely possible to think we're okay and be in a powerless place. And the, the real sad part about this is that this is not even an attack from the enemy. If you read the message to the churches in Revelation, the first five talk about exterior attacks against the church. The last two that Jesus is most critical of, he's talking about internal attacks where our hearts are not right. There's no ex- external attack of the enemy here. This is the people of God just not being aware thinking they're doing all right, and they're, they're defeating themselves because they're deceived. He says it's a dangerous place because it's literally a blind spot. Don't you know that you're, you're blind? Do you know the problem with blind spots? You can't see them. Right? If I were to say, hey, what are your blind spots? Let's get together and talk about those. You would not be able to tell me what they are because they are what? Blind spots. We can't see them. But how many of you know it's so wonderful to have a God that sees us exactly as we are and can point those things out to us because he's faithful. And it's also an exposed place. He says you're naked. You're poor, blind, and naked. How many of you like to be exposed for the sin or the brokenness in your life? How many of you, like every time your spouse brings it up, you're like, thank you, Jesus. You are just God's grace to me to see the fault in my life so that I can turn to the Holy Spirit. I thank God for you. Now, like really we would, right? If we, if we were mature, we would stop and that's how we would respond. But how many of us respond that way when we're exposed in our sin? I remember one time, I think I've shared this story with you before, but it's worth sharing again. We have this long hallway here and then the long main hallway. And how many of you know that when you're a pastor's kid, you don't leave church for like two hours after church? I'm trying to redeem that for my kids. I'm trying to get them out of here on time. But my parents would take two hours to walk down the hall. It was forever. So we would just play. I mean, how many of you grew up in church and that was your experience? Your parents just talked all the time, right? 
And so when you have two hours or an hour, like if I'm exaggerating, let's just say it's an hour because that was not an exaggeration, we just would find games to play. We would play tag and other things with my brothers. Now I remember one week, we, we, the tag that we played was not your traditional freeze tag. It was, I'm going to surprise you coming out of nowhere and slap you upside the head as hard as I can tag. Now, like, it was fair because they could do that to me and I could do that to them, right? Stupid, stupid games, stupid prizes. And so I remember uh, seeing my brother down the hall. I kind of turned the corner and he was, like, in the main hallway and completely exposed and not paying attention. And I just, like, booked it to him as quiet as I could but really fast and just, like, right upside the head, like, a full swing, like, where, like, you just got the good pop. You hit that spot, that, like, knob right here, back here. Just pop right upside the head. And I remember in that moment being like so excited that I had like, I got him good. Now he was six years younger than me and I was probably way too big for this. Now he had enough beatings that he didn't cry. But then I turned and saw that like five feet down the hall, what I didn't see as I was running up to him to get him in my excitement to pop him upside the head was one of my favorite Sunday school teachers who in that moment I turned to, and you know that feeling when you're exposed? Like the blood rushes to your face? And I'm like, she now knows that I really am the jerk that I am on the inside. I can't play anymore. It was an exposed feeling. And what do we do when we have those feelings? We have all kinds of responses to them, right? Sometimes we just sit there in embarrassment. Sometimes we run away. That that's mostly was my thing as a kid. It's, when you're embarrassed, you just run away. When you're exposed, you just run away. Sometimes we fight, right? Sometimes we make it, well, if you're going to expose me, I'm going to expose you. And then we go back and forth this way. Jesus is bringing us to this place of exposure, not of nakedness and realization that we are naked, not because he wants us to be ashamed and run away. He's doing it because he loves us. He's doing it because he loves us and he has provision for us. For some of us, he's exposing this because he wants to expose the trust we think we have in our own goodness. Things, have, things, are, things are okay and we can do it by ourselves. He's exposing the trust that we have put in things that are other than him. But for some of us, he's bringing this exposure because it's just outright sin. And he loves us enough to want to remove that from our lives. When he talks to the church at Sardis, he mentions those who have not soiled their clothes with evil. Some of us are walking around with sin in our lives, and it's just we've covered it enough. The clothes look a little bit okay, and we just kind of let it exist there. I, I describe it kind of this way. How many of you ever washed whites with darks before? And, then, and, and, and the whites take on a little, they're not, they're not like dirty, but they take on a little bit of tinge that's not all the way clean, bright white. You know what I'm talking about? You can never get that garment white again. No matter how many times you put it in with the whites and bleach it, hot water, the whole deal, it is not gonna get back to that pure white that it was before. And the truth is this, some of us are walking around thinking that we're doing okay, but there is sin in our lives that is soiling our clothes, and God is here to deal with it. And he's not trying to wash us clean in what we've got already. He's exposing our nakedness so that we can get brand new garments. That's what he's doing this morning. So some of us, it's our trust in other things, and some of us, it's outright sin. What is the response that we have? Sometimes we hide, just like in the garden. 
When Adam and Eve sinned, they tried to hide themselves. They tried to cover themselves. We're still doing this today. But the truth is this. We can't, we can't cover ourselves, right? We can run away. We can try to cover ourselves, but it's not good enough. Or we can do what God is calling us to do this morning. We can allow ourselves to be clothed by Jesus. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, it says this. All who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Now the truth is this, it has happened. If we have put our faith in Jesus, we have put on Christ like new clothes. But do we really live in the reality of that clothing? If you read through Galatians, you read through Paul's instruction to that church. And oftentimes when we are exposed, we just try harder. But Paul's very clear in Galatians chapter 4.12. He says, it's literally not try harder. Stop trying harder. In Galatians 5.1, he says, listen, this key, this clothing yourselves with Christ is the key to remaining free. It's a simple message this morning. It's turn to Jesus. Look at Revelation chapter 3 again. Verse 18. So I advise you to buy gold from me. Gold that's been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. And also buy white garments for me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness. And ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Listen, here's the truth. He is faithful to prepare his bride. He's coming back for a bride that's ready. He's coming back for a bride that's been purified. A bride that has white clothes. If you're here this morning and you're struggling with this, you're saying, okay, God, I've been exposed. I want to run. I don't know what to do. I've got sin. I don't know how to deal with it. The truth is this. It's simply turn to Jesus and allow him to wash you clean and give you new clothes. He is faithful to prepare his bride. He says, come and buy from me. He has everything that we need. Just imagine for a minute that you wanted a new car, needed a new car. How many of you would like to walk into a dealership, pick out the car of your dreams, and when you sit down with the finance guy, the guy goes, oh, hey, by the way, uh, this is a new kind of dealership we have going here. Like, you just pick out the car that you want, and then we provide you the money for it, and you don't have to pay us back. How many of you would like to shop at that type of a dealership? How many of you, as I was describing that, you know the car you'd pick out, right? This is literally what Jesus is saying to me, to to you and to me and to all of us this morning. He's saying, listen, would you come to me and you don't have what it takes, I got what it takes, but I'm gonna give you what you need to buy it from me. That's the kind of God that we serve. That's his preparation for his bride. He's saying, listen, buy gold, buy purity, true riches, value, find value in what really matters. This time of shaking over the last seven months has identified or should have identified to us what really matters. And there's a lot that we live with as American Christians that really doesn't matter at all. And God in his faithfulness is shaking it so we can find what really matters. He says, buy for me white garments. Find your righteousness in me. Buy ointment for your eyes so that you can really see. You can have, don't you realize you're blind? Buy ointment for your eyes so you can see the real spiritual condition that you're in. Because I correct and I discipline everyone I love. So turn from your indifference. See, he does his part. And we have ours. His part is this. Revelation 19, 7 through 8 says, Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She's been given 
the finest of pure white linens to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. Where did she get the fine linen? It was given to her. It was given to her. Jesus said this in John 14, 3, when everything is ready, I will come and I will get you so that you'll always be with me where I am. His part is to prepare his bride. His part is to prepare the place for us. His part is to bring us to him when it's time. And our part is this. Look at verse 20 of chapter 3. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and I will, we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. What's his instruction? His instruction is, look, pay attention, behold. There is a right now nature to what he's saying to his church. And notice this. How many of you have heard this verse preached before at the end of a sermon to invite people to get saved? Look, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear, hears my voice. I mean, I remember being a little kid. Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. Would you accept him as Jesus? But who is Jesus talking to in this scripture? He's not talking to those who are unbelievers. He's talking to his children. He's talking to his church. He's literally standing at the door of our hearts this morning and saying, I'm knocking at the door of your heart. Will you let me in? And what does he want to come in and do? He wants to come in and have relationship with us. He wants to share a meal with us. Are you hearing his voice this morning? Are you hearing his call to be ready? To be clothed? And if you are this morning, then would you just open the door to him? It's time to open the door to renewed relationship. It's time to open the door to revival. How many of you have ever heard the term revival before? God wants to do revival. What does that mean? For each one of us, it's something different. Maybe it's something we've read about in the past. Maybe we've experienced a past move of God. Maybe we, when we think about revival, we think about people hooting and hollering, jumping up and down, rolling in the aisles, whatever. Here's what revival really means. It means our hearts are turned to him again. That's the essence of revival. Either people who knew, know him, having their hearts turn towards him in greater measure and greater fervor, turning from our indifference, literally what he talks about here, or it's people who don't know him coming to him. That's what revival looks like. And he's here because he wants to start with his church. We don't need a revival in our land as much as we need a revival in his church. Because if his church was revived, it would look way different. And our land would look different. It's not about those people out there needing to get their lives with, right with God. It's about us in here needing to have our lives right with Jesus. And he's the one who's here to do it with us this morning, this afternoon. So would you close your eyes for a minute and let's just do some business with the Lord. He's standing at the door of our hearts. And he's knocking. He's standing at the door of our lives. He's knocking. And we can pretend that he's not there. We can run away from it because it's uncomfortable. We can pretend we're not home, right? If we don't turn the lights on, he'll walk away and leave us alone. And you won't see how messed up our house looks right now how unprepared we are. 
Or maybe we could open our, our lives to him. Open the door. Because he says if we do, he will come in and he'll share a meal with us together as friends. Hearts revived. It's time to open the door to renewed relationship and it's time to open the door to victory. It's time to open the door to ruling and reigning with him. That's the invitation he's given to us this morning. If you're here this morning and you just want to respond to that, I just invite you to do that right now. You can do it in the quiet of your heart. You can do it by just raising your hands to him. You can do it by getting on your knees. You can do it by standing. But somehow respond to the call of God to renewed relationship, revival in your own life, and just say, yes, Lord. Jesus, we're so grateful that you purify your bride, that you shake what needs to be shaken, that you bring us to places of exposure, not to shame, but to give us garments, to cleanse us, to wash us, to give us the things that we need to buy from you. We open our hearts to you, our lives to you today. We say yes to your knock. Revive us, we pray. According to your word and your promise in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table as a response as well. Scripture tells us that we should examine our hearts before we celebrate together. And we've had a time to do that. Scripture also tells us that what we're doing announces his death until he comes again. There's something really powerful about not just announcing his death, but also announcing his return. He's coming back. And we get to live in the reality of everything that he bought on the cross. Our salvation, our freedom, our healing, the presence of his spirit. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread and he broke it into pieces and he gave thanks to God for it. He said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. Then Paul adds, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Jesus, we thank you that you made a sacrifice for us. You gave your body, you gave your blood to establish a new covenant, a new agreement whereby we could live in your righteousness and not our own. Where we didn't have to hide in shame anymore, but we could invite you into our lives fresh and new every day, every moment. We bless your name and we declare that you are coming again and that we will be ready as we turn from our indifference and respond to what you have done for us. We thank you for what these elements represent, your body and blood given for us on our behalf. Let's eat and drink together. Now, Jesus, may we go, not just in revelation, 
of who you are, but may we go in revival because we just don't understand something differently when we walk out, but because we have met with you and our hearts and our relationship with you has been revived, that the wind of your spirit has blown upon it. And may we not just think differently, but God, may we be actually transformed and different because we have been with you. Lord, purify and continue to purify your bride and let your kingdom come and your glory be displayed. In Jesus' name, amen. Jake's coming now to dismiss us if you'd give him your attention. Amen, amen.